Hi, and welcome to the PhD Talk podcast. I am Eva, a civil engineering professor and blogger on the side. And I'm Rico, a PhD student in civil engineering. Join us on this podcast in which we discuss all topics related to PhD life, research mechanics, and lived experiences. There will be interviews and discussions with guest researchers and PhD students. We hope you stick around with us on the PhD Talk podcast. So this is the third episode of the PhD Talk podcast. We'd like to welcome all our listeners. And today we have our first guest. So we're very excited to introduce Sylvia Pugliese, who is in the third year of her PhD program in chemistry. And she's in a special type of program. It's a, an international training network with European funding. So Sylvia, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, first of all, very well pronounced. Thank you so much, Eva. Hey. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I am a PhD student. I just entered my third year of PhD project. And as you uh, introduced it, it's an ITN, International Training Network uh, project, founded by the European Union. So um, these kind of projects are called uh, Marie Curie Fellowships. It's quite complicated. An international training network means that the, the PhDs, they have to travel uh, more or less during the three years of their project. In my case, in my specific case, the project is called eScaled. And we are, in fact, 14 PhD students. Each one of us has her, his own um, uh, university, partner universities. And then we experience a lot of traveling throughout uh, our three uh, years. And the final aim of our project is to create a so-called artificial leaf, which means we try to use sunlight and we try to use species that we have in great abundance, for example, CO2, make some products that can be used, for example, in industry. We call them green fuels. So we try to convert, for example, the energy and some pollutants, as I just said, CO2, into something that can be good, good for us. So this is the aim of the project. Okay, so that's quite an ambitious goal. Yeah. And I guess that's why uh, it requires an international training network and 14 PhD students. Yeah. What is your um, specific background and uh, how are you planning to contribute to this uh, e-scaled artificial leaf project? Yeah, so each 14 PhD student, each one of us, we work on a different side of this artificial leap. So each one of us has a different expertise, of course. So in my case, my project specifically is uh, on the study of uh, materials and catalysts to uh, the electroreduction of CO2. So in fact, what I'm studying is I'm finding a way to make a good electrode material to reduce CO2 via an electrochemical uh, process. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> and so which universities are you partnered with? Which ones have you traveled to? Yeah, so uh, my, my main institutions are uh, University of Namur in Belgium 
and Collège de France in uh, Paris, France. And additionally, uh, I've traveled in uh, France in Pau, the University of Pau and Pays de la Dour. I will also travel to Switzerland in a company to do a little uh, internship in a company. Additionally, some other partner universities are Uppsala in Sweden. Uh, I was supposed to go there, but unfortunately, due to the very actual COVID problems, we need, we had to either postpone or probably cancel this trip. There are many partners, in fact. So you mentioned some of the effects that the COVID-19 pandemic has had uh, on your travel. Have you noticed any other challenges that have uh, arisen because of the, the pandemic? Well, uh, as you as you probably also have experienced, this pandemic has been a really, really tough moment for us all, I would say. Not only like physically for those who uh, unfortunately had to, you know, face it, but also psychologically for all of us, I would say. In my case, for example, it's really tough not to be able to plan. For example, in my project and in, in my life in general, I need uh, to, to be really organized, to know where I'm going, I, I don't know, for the next three months, for the next year I will be in this lab I will I will be in the other lab so for me it's really important to be really organized and to know in advance if I'm going to travel somewhere or uh, or not so yeah due to this pandemic uh, we really had a, a hard time organizing things Maybe a follow-up question to then, um, have you noticed any opportunities, any anything good that came out of the current situation, perhaps a uh, better use of technological tools or any silver lining in this uh, difficult time? Well, there are some things that happened due to the pandemic itself. Well, I can tell one that it is related to my own experience, in fact. So most of the time, we PhD students, we try to really work hard, get results. You know, <laughs> sometimes we start this uh, overworking schedule. Uh, we really want to, to work hard and for long period of time. So what happened to me was that I was in this kind of situation. I was really trying to work work hard but due to the pandemic we had to stop because many many laboratories uh, at the beginning of 2020 as you know here in Europe they, they stopped I had to stop in fact my work for a few months and that I noticed after after going back to lab that helped me a lot really a lot because I was refreshed all my energies were were back I had new ideas fresh energies so I, I really felt that well <laughs> pandemic was a was a bad situation but in a sort of way stopping was was really good so i think that stopping in general for a phd is, is a good instrument in fact it was a forced vacation for you yeah <laughs> yes under normal circumstances when you travel from one university to the other how how does that practically turn out how do you arrange your accommodations when you're going from one place to the other all the time <laughs> Nice question. So it starts one month before, more or less. So one month in advance before the, let's say, trip date, I start looking for accommodation. So I either do it myself or I ask for uh, some help within my project. And this is a very important point. I mean, we PhD students, we try to help each other as much as we can. And this is something very nice that this PhD brought me because we are 14 people constantly traveling and we 
we need really to help each other during these uh, movings and uh, to get information. So what I do normally is I get informed on the destination that I have. I try to look for accommodation. So that's really the first thing. And then uh, just a few weeks before the moving, I start organizing the lab as if I'm leaving for good. <laughs> so I collect all my samples. I try to classify them. Maybe I leave some boxes uh, here and there with my samples. I bring with me what I really need, what is really necessary. And at the same time, I start thinking what is in the next lab and where I'm going. So what are the facilities that I have there? What will I need for my research? And so, uh, for example, if I need to order some uh, chemicals uh, or if I need to, for example, uh, use some, uh, some specific materials, if there is something I can do before, that's it. Right. One last question with regard to doing your PhD within uh, an international training network. What have you identified as the main challenges and the main opportunities for this type of organizing a PhD study among a large group of people at different locations? For sure, one of the biggest problems of this organization is uh, the fact that we are 14 uh, and it is difficult to put together our work and it's difficult sometimes to communicate within uh, the 14 of us. So I would say that this is the major drawback of this kind of project. That is, we are so busy in our labs throughout Europe that sometimes we forget that at the end of the project, we will have to put all of our results together. So this project begins with an idea that is collaboration. But unfortunately, because of this organization, because of the organization itself, it is um, difficult to get to this point. So yeah, this is the major drawback. A positive side, however, and, and this I already underlined it previously, is that we get to know each other very well. We get to cooperate, maybe not scientifically, but as people, you know. <laughs> so we really help each other. And I think that this is going to be a really, really strong network for the future because we are going to end up for sure in, in different jobs, different lives. That is for sure. But I, I will end up with uh, 13 people that that I really know very well and I know that they lived my same experiences and we will be, I think, bounded somehow. As a last follow-up question to Dan, you mentioned it's hard to combine all these 14 projects together. The funding of the project is really for the experiments and the PhD students or it also covers senior faculty who may help you with that part of talking more interdisciplinarily? Well, the funding is a bit more than just science. It covers also, for example, some uh, some travel expenses and stuff like this. So this is a very good point. And additionally, we organize some meetings periodically in which we all get together and in which we get some training. So this is also one of the reasons why it's called International Training Network, because also we get some training, but we do it in our own uh, special way, let's say, by having these big meetings, each, I would say, six months in which all of the major contributors and uh, major partners of this project, they teach us something. They make some trainings for us. And this is, of course, it's covered by the fund. Yeah, I also have just a little follow-up question. So this eScale project, the goal is to create sort of an artificial leaf and imitate photosynthesis. But are your fellow researchers and PhD students all studying chemistry as well? Or is it interdisciplinary as well as international? 
Yeah, yeah, it is very interdisciplinary. Me, for example, I'm a chemist, but we have some engineers, we have some physicists. So we do have people that have different backgrounds. And I think this is one of the strengths of the project itself, because me as a chemist, I would never be able, for example, to design a flow cell, for example. So that's more uh, the job of an engineer. And so, yeah, it's a very good thing to be interdisciplinary. It's very interesting, and uh, I would love to learn more about uh, these types of uh, international training networks, and I'm sure um, they can help contribute to to science and uh, to technology in in a lot of different ways. Hopefully. (laughs) Right, so let's switch gears a little bit and, and get to the questions on the PhD and the PhD trajectory. So first of all, what inspired you to go do a PhD, and how did you land this position? So I decided to do a PhD simply because I love research. I love uh, being in the lab. I love uh, asking myself questions. I love doing experiments. So I just thought it was the, you know, natural prosecution of my career, I would say. And uh, as a follow up to that, where were you before going to, to Belgium and France? Yeah, I was in Denmark. So I had my bachelor in, uh, in Italy, in chemistry, at the University of Turin. And then I really wanted to see how things were going uh, in the other countries, <laughs> more or less. So I said, okay, let's just go a bit outside Italy. And so I, I, I went to Denmark at the University of Copenhagen. And there I did my, my Master of Science in uh, chemistry again. So I'm a pure chemist. <laughs> That's great. And then how did you land this PhD position? How did you go from Denmark to pretty much being international? Well, it went pretty easily. I mean, I I was finishing my my master. I was writing my master thesis. And at the same time, I was looking for PhD positions. I had the opportunity to stay in Denmark. But I don't know, something in my head was telling me that I needed to travel a bit more. (laughs) I don't know. I I wanted to see more. I was just curious. You know, it happens. (laughs) So that's why I started to search for positions throughout Europe. I also considered other countries, but I found this position. I read the description of it and I don't know, it was so exciting to be in this big group of people, to be part of something bigger that I just said, okay, I will give it a go. Let's see. And so I started the process, the, the application process. Okay. And so I have a question for Sylvia. What does a typical day in the life of a chemistry PhD student look like? In my case, it's just waking up in the morning, hearing some uh, news, because it's important to be informed of what happens around you. Because sometimes you can be very, very focused on your research as a PhD student. So one thing, and I really suggest to everyone, just hear what's going on around you. So that's the first thing. Then out of curiosity, sorry that I interrupt you. Um, Do you listen to the news like on the local radio station of the country where you are? Or do you have like a favorite from back home in Italy that you keep listening to? Yeah, that is a really funny question because, in fact, by living in uh, French-speaking countries, I learn French. So what I try to do normally is I start with the Italian news because, of course, you know, it's my country, you know. But then I, I switch to the, the news from uh, from France, from Belgium. So I have, like, the playlist uh, already set up. And each day I, I have the news from these different countries. And plus, I also have some uh, international news because it's also important to see, uh, you know, bigger than Europe, of course. 
That's a great little tip there. I think I'm going to, uh, to use that. I'm going to set up a playlist for myself. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also good to keep practicing uh, the languages you know. You know, I, I start with Italian, then I pass to French. When I was in Denmark, I was hearing the news in, uh, in Danish. But now, now I, I think I lost it a little bit. I lost my Danish a little bit. So I'm having some difficulties, but I'm trying to keep it. So, yeah, after that, I just go straight to lab. And the uh, first thing I do before putting my lab coat on is just to have a little brainstorm, not more than half an hour, just to, just to understand what I have done the days before, what I need to do today, and what I would like to do apart from uh, lab work, what I would like to do as a normal PhD, uh, because it's not all uh, lab work. We need to do a lot of uh, other different things. So, yeah. I try to organize my day as a preference. I devote almost all of the time to lab work just because I really enjoy it. But I try to keep at least, uh, I don't know, I would say the last hours of my day uh, for reading maybe, for writing down what I did. And this is really important to keep track of what I'm doing in the lab. This is so important, especially for a person like me that my memory is really, really bad. So I really need to write down everything. And then after lab, I go back home and I try to relax <laughs> for the end of the day, yeah. And are you doing any um, teaching? Are you a teaching assistant for any courses? Are you lecturing at all? Unfortunately, that is not possible for our type of project because, as you can imagine, I, I cannot start teaching and uh, be gone after, after a few months. So, you know, if you want to teach something, you have to be present for the people you are, you are teaching. And so uh, in, in our case, uh, we already devote a lot of time uh, to do these meetings, periodical meetings and, um, and to research because, of course, we have to focus on that. So unfortunately, we do not have much time for teaching. And you're now in your, in your third year of your PhD. How long is a typical um, chemistry PhD in Europe? Well, it's normally between three and four years. So you would imagine that you're going to be finished in about a year? Yeah, exactly. One year from now, more or less, yes. If you look back on your PhD trajectory so far, what are the main lessons that you have learned? Oh, nice. Nice question. First big lesson, take your time, stop. When you need it, stop. Just stop. Uh, you will feel better after. You will gain more energies after. So this is one first lesson. So stop and more, more generally, like listen to your body, listen to your needs. You're not a robot. It's so easy to be tempted by working a lot, trying to get as many results as possible. That's, of course, a problem that we, we encounter when we do a PhD. I, I think it's uh, something that everybody experiences, but it's really so important to take care of ourselves as a person. We need to relax from time to time. So that's the very big first thing that I learned. <laughs> the second thing, more on the organization point of view, is, as I told you before, keep track of what you're doing, because one day you will need that piece of information that you are searching right now and you are spending like two hours to retrieve that special experiment that you did that day and you don't remember that data that you need right now so much so keep track every day just write down a few lines just to know what you did and what are the most important outcomes that you had it's going to be sufficient okay so i guess our final question for you sylvia is uh, what are your career aspirations what do you imagine doing after your phd 
Tough question. Um, I'm not planning because COVID taught me not to plan. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I do not know, honestly, where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. What I can tell you is that I wouldn't mind continuing a career in academia. However, there are many countries in which a career in academia is really tough, let me tell you. And I had the opportunity to see it in different countries in Europe. So I love research. So, uh, of course, a career in academia would be really interesting. But at the same time, I am open for some position in industry as well. Uh, why not? As far as I can continue um, being in a lab and asking those questions that I like to ask myself every day, as far as I can do that, I'm happy. But no more travel anymore. No more travel. I want to, <laughs> I want to stay in a place. I want to have a house. And that's it. <laughs> Do you have any idea where that house would be? Any country that you really liked of all the places where you've lived? Uh, what can I say? I mean, Italy. Italy is, is such a nice place to live in. Um, however, Denmark left a really, really nice place in my heart. I really lived some really good years there. So I don't know. I will see. <laughs> But it will be in Europe, probably. I don't want to be too far from my family. So, All right. Thank you so much, Sylvia, for joining us today. Thank you. It was really a pleasure. Thank you so much. So this has been the third episode of the PhD Talk podcast in which we interviewed Sylvia Pugliese on her International Training Network PhD. We will be back next week with more on PhD Live and Research Mechanics.